Cole, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Finally, good to have you on the podcast, man. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Um, you've been uh, you've been knocking on the door for quite a while. I just I'm so busy all the time, and um, you got there though with persistence. Well persistence takes it, man. Let me start off by saying this. I think some of the best podcasts that I do are from people that I know, the journeys that I follow, follow their businesses. I know exactly what they do. And being a petrolhead is natural for me to know exactly about Tom Hartley yourself and exactly what you guys do in the plethora of cars that you guys have right but for people who don't know you and are watching this podcast for the first time and stumbling us Carl Hartley what is ex exactly is it that you do and what do you specialize in before we get into it make sure you subscribe and set the bell notification to all so you never miss a single episode we um myself and my father specialize in buying and selling the world's most elite luxury performance classic and hypercars yeah, I mean, I suppose it's a good way to put it, but I mean, supercars, I could buy two old Gen Gallardos for 70 grand each, but you're no, none of that. I mean, you're talking about Pagani Wire or, you know, I can't even remember the cars off the top of my head. Yeah, so, well, right? I mean, you know, we range from our cars, um, there's sort of three sectors in our business. Got there's the sector, which is um, super SUVs um, and sports cars, which start from, you know, 100 grand to, to 200. Mm-hmm. And then you start getting into the supercar category, which is from, you know, from 250 to 750. And then you go to the hypercar category, which is a million up to the 10. Yeah, um, really. On the back of that, you have your um, our classic side of the business, investment cars, which a lot of modern cars now are investment cars also. Yeah. Um, but uh, the classic side of the business uh, can range from, a once again, a you know a hundred and fifty thousand um, pound classic car mm -hmm. up to you know twenty million. Would you say there's such thing as modern day classic cars? Of course. You know, I'd I'd look at the um, speciali four five eight speciali yeah. and be like, in thirty years time, that's gonna be seen as the way we look at a two fifty GTO or something or like that. Well, maybe quite not as exaggerated as yeah, that, yeah. but yeah. Um, that that car in particular, this the four five eight speciali is um, certainly. Well, it's not a future classic. It's it's already a Hall of Famer. Yeah. You know, if that makes sense. It's already um I think the car won engine of the year um sort of three years in a row. Um, Four, five, eight, yeah. It, yeah, it's yeah. the it's the last limited production rear engine naturally aspirated V eight Ferrari. Yeah. That's exactly what people want. They want a naturally aspirated V eight mm -hmm. rear engined limited edition Ferrari. And that's exactly what you specialise in pretty much. Yeah, I mean, and that car is such a good car. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And, you know, they're getting to the point now they're creeping up to towards half a million pounds between, you know, 350 and, and 450. And those are the coupes, right? Those are the coupes. The Apertas, which are the convertibles, well, they're 750. Yeah, I know, right? crazy figures. Um, and these cars, they, they, they were, you know, 200 to 250 for, for a long time and, you know, 200 to 250 um, in this market, in today's, how much a pound is worth today, doesn't get you a lot of supercar. Mm, no, not much. Not it about gets you a supercar. Yeah, just about, I mean, you'd be looking at, are we talking about new cars, used cars? Uh, yeah, I'm talking about new cars. Yeah, new yeah. Okay, new. okay, yeah, new cars, I don't really think of there's anything, because even the new uh, Revelto, Lamborghini, that's just released, that's going to come in around 550, I want to say. With no spec. With no spec. It wouldn't be hard to throw a hundred grams of extras on one of those. Yeah, no. So you're looking at six fifty, seven hundred, which is, would be absolutely. Which I think that's going to set the mark for the new supercar pricing. Yeah. You know, Ferrari tried it with the SF90. They were coming in at half a million. 
they didn't do very well at half a million. They done great at three fifty. Yep. They done so good at three fifty. They're now four hundred. <laughs> so they, you know, they're they're getting back up there. What was it? Because the price was lower at three fifty. Now the demand had built up, so then the price have gone up as well. People looked at that car and thought for five hundred thousand. I mean, I'm talking about coupes here, not spiders. Yep. Spiders do incredibly, incredibly well. Yep. And the coupes do well used, um, but people looked at that car five hundred thousand and thought half a million. You know, no. Mm-hmm. And then they looked at the car at three fifty and they're like. 350? Yeah, I'd have one of those. Yeah, I'd have one of them. Yeah, why not? Yeah, go on. I'll take a bargain. Exactly. Carl, so this is your 50th year, Tom Hartley, right? 50th year. 50th year, which is absolutely crazy. And we'll dive into your your story in a second. But in the whole 50 years of of the dealership, how what's the most expensive car that you've sold? Um I was asked this question recently on another another podcast yep. that I'd done with a guy called Rob Moore. Yep. Um, yep. Do you know Rob? Yep, yep. Not uh, personally, but yeah, no, he's, he's a great guy. Yeah, I've done a few good. with him. And um I'm gonna give you a really boring answer here and say that I can't disclose um what the car was. Um I can't disclose an exact figure mm-hmm. because it was contracted when the deal was done, but it was well into the tens of millions. Okay, so then what I will ask you off the back of that then is how come sales like that are then contracted almost like NDAs that you can't say anything? Well, because the buyer um, is obviously buying a super, 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 super rare car. In this mm-hmm. instance, it was one of less than three. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and um, it's, you know, everyone's got a camera phone these days. The internet's a funny thing where you can find out everything from everybody and yep. these people don't want to disclose that they just paid, you know, a absurd amount um, for a car because they could have 2,000 employees that all want to raise tomorrow and yeah. they say, you know, no, I'm sorry, you know, things are tight. Oh, but you've just given... Yourself X amount. It, yeah. You know, on one car. Yeah. You read about it on the internet. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's for things like that. And it's also for resale. Mm. That car comes back up in 10 years... If you release the price, someone then- yeah, it, it, it sometimes it helps the car, sometimes it doesn't, but it's just what the what the customer prefers. They, people like to be discreet. Yeah, you get to a certain level where, and I find this in different sectors of my business, where someone buys their first supercar mm-hmm. and it's all over Instagram. Yeah, it's it's they they want me to do a post to show them buying the car, how much they paid for the car, and you know they and and, and fair play to them, you know that's that's. I that's, suppose if they're not used to that experience, that's wouldn't a sense it? of achievement, yeah. and you know, and, and I support that, yeah, a hundred percent. But then you get to the higher levels, and people are like, "I don't want any press, I don't want anyone to know I've got this car. I won't drive the car. The car won't see the light of day. It's just I don't want anyone to know. I just want to put it in the garage with the rest of the twenty of them that I have, mm-hmm. and um, just just enjoy owning it." And no one know that I've got it. Yeah. Tell me this then, yeah. So, you know, in that sense there, obviously you're, you're a businessman at the end of the day, yeah. And people, petrol heads, they get upset when they say cars are just stuck in the garage, yeah. Mm-hmm. Be honest with me. Does it upset you? It doesn't bother you or anything? Or? Oh, what someone does with their personal belonging is none of my business. Yeah, entirely up to them. Um, yeah, I mean, I can have my thoughts on what I would do. And there's certain cars change what I would do depending on what they are. Yeah. You know, um, I had a, I had a, uh, a Bugatti Veyron that I used pretty much daily when yeah. I owned it. Um, because it, you could, if I had a 
Mercedes 300 SL Goldwing, a 1955, one of my favorite cars. Mm-hmm. You can't use that every day. You know, yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. can't you can't use that once a week. Yeah, you know? is that just because it's unusable or it's just because it's a different level of value? I, no, I just think it's the case of it's a piece of art. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the most beautiful thing. Number one, so I would I would personally get enjoyment out of just looking at that car. Oh yeah, uh, and number two, it's you know it's nineteen fifty five. It's old, yeah. you know. It's got drum brakes, yeah. no air conditioning, no power steering. I mean, the thing is, it's a pig. Yeah, it's a dinosaur, pretty much. But um, it's so it's beautiful. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I was watching either I think it was Rob's or maybe Lewis's podcast where you know you obviously you had a Bugatti. And I think you said you've done 20,000 miles in it? 16. 16,000 miles. Yeah. Close to 20. 16,000 miles in the space of how long? For three years. Three, three and a half years. Still crazy to put 16,000 miles well, in the day. Somebody who's looking at this uh, or watching this will say, oh God, I've done 16,000 miles in my car in the last, you know, eight months. But it's not a Veyron. Yeah, it's yeah. not. <laughs> you know, you know um, and also what people, I don't commute to work. As you can see, I live here. You live here, yeah. So the mileage that I do in a car is purely for pleasure mm-hmm. or for business. I'm not taking a Veyron to go and buy a Ferrari 458 from you. I'm not going to go and see you in my Veyron, <laughs> you know? Do you feel like, okay. That so- would give me a terrible negotiating <laughs> stance. Does, yeah. <laughs> you know? What would you turn up in? Ford uh, well, I've, I've always, I've always dro- driven Volkswagen Golfs. Yeah. Um, and now I drive a Land Rover Defender. Solid cars, yeah, great car, and they do the job for me. And you know, I don't need, you know, I don't need to drive a Lamborghini every day. But what I used to do when with my, or still do with my, uh, with my personal cars is, if I'm going somewhere to the gym, to the to a restaurant, to meet some friends, you know, I just take that. Take that. that was yeah. my car. That was you know, that was that was what that's yeah. what I took. Things have changed a bit now because I've got three kids. Yep, and um, I always feel bad, like with the Pagani, they all. I try and take, take it in terms which one I take out <laughs> if we go somewhere and they're, uh, they're always crying. So Do you know what you need to get then? Koenig's Zig Jamiro. I know. Yep, I know. I think that's your solution Christian right Christian Koenig's Zig has been on to me. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> he thought of you. But there's only four seats. So I need five I need five seats unless I leave my wife, which, man, you know, yeah. I might do. <laughs> <laughs> Look, what I was going to ask you about the Bugatti there as well, right? What is actually considered high mileage for a Bugatti? Well, I, I bought one yesterday yep that i'm collecting tomorrow which one did you buy a veyron okay and it's a 2007 um really good car people when this comes out it'll probably be on my website so they can see it yep um that's done 19 and a half thousand miles mm-hmm. now that will be as high of mileage veyron that i've had but it's not a high mileage veyron because that car is 16 years old that's crazy when you think about it. 16 years old, 19,000 miles, yeah, 1150 miles a year. Yeah, that's nothing. It's nothing. It's 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 underused, mm. you know. I done 16,000 miles in 3 years, you know. So um, but that, but but what's considered high mileage? You know what? I think with those cars, well I know from experience, with those cars, they're more they're used and maintained, the better they are. Seriously? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I didn't have any problems. Nothing go I, wrong. I thought it would have been the complete opposite way around. You know, the less you use it, obviously, because you're not pushing it as hard or anything like that. No, with those cars, um, you've, they've got to be used. Mm. They have to have a few miles on them. Okay. Um, it number two reasons. Number one, it gives the buyer confidence in the car yeah. that it works because it's done miles. Yep. 
And, you know, it's hard for somebody to do a thousand miles in five years and have three, four, five services. Yeah. They think, oh, I've only done a thousand miles, I'll just service it. So then all of a sudden you get a five-year gap in the service history, mm-hmm. which doesn't help the car. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, so, yeah, you know, on a car like that, my my opinion is just use it, get it out. They're incredible. So enjoy it, yeah. You enjoy it. For a reason, enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, they're the most over-engineered car Ever. in the world. Yeah, I like, mean, I think the statement was that, I think Volkswagen was losing five million Per car when they made them, right? Or it was, it was a good tax write off, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, well, so if that's what they wanted to do, then they'd done it <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We either we either give the tax man, you know, four hundred million, or you make five hundred. <laughs> we just made we make some Bugattis, make the, the one of the greatest cars the world's ever seen, mm. and in the long run, we'll make money from servicing, from secondhand values, from owning the brand, releasing, and yeah. then kicking on from the Chiron. Yeah, it's a good move. I was going to ask you about this later on in the podcast, but seeing as on the topic right now, you being an owner of one, what was it like owning it in terms of costs? Because it's one thing spending a million pounds in the car, but I'm sure, you know, I've heard the tyres, just change a set of tyres is £25,000. Well, they say I was definitely probably the poorest person to own a Veyron at the time <laughs> in the world. Um, they say the average Veyron owner has 32 cars, a boat and a private jet. Okay. That's the average. Yep. And yeah. what did you have at the time, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, I only had th- I only had thirty one cars and, yeah. and and a boat. I didn't, so I didn't have the, about I didn't have the chair at the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what was it like owning one? Look, you've got to understand that this thing is not a car. It's 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 more more of an aeroplane than what it is a car. Yeah, you know, the, a lot of the components are from aerospace. Yeah. You know, they're not from cars. Yeah, they can't be. Yeah. Um, so. And you also have to take in pro rata. £25,000 for a service is a lot of money. Yeah, of course. But when your car's worth £2 million, that's solely what, it's 1%. 1% yeah. You know, so if you've got a car that's worth 100000 and it costs 1000 to service, are you going to spit your dummy out and, you know, think, oh my God, this is ridiculous? Yeah, you know, you're going to think that's not bad. You expect it. Yeah, you expect it, yeah. So, pro rata. Okay. And then, because I... You, well, what is expensive in tyres? Oh, yeah, I mean, tires tyres are expensive, expensive, yeah. And you can't even change them to any other aftermarket ones or anything like that because no. they'll just do it. I remember when they were making the tyres, there was a video of how they developed them um, in aerospace engineering programme mm-hmm. where they put the tyres on, like, as if, um, like, a plane landing mm-hmm. software sort of thing. And, yeah, the tyres are getting burnt out fully like that. When That's those crazy. cars were, were manufactured, there was a lot of aerospace that went into them. Yeah. And you can feel that when you're driving it. Yeah. You know, it feels... I've never flown an aeroplane, but it yeah. feels like Collab. I'm driving like an aeroplane. aeroplane. Yeah, you know. I suppose the takeoff speed. I've been in a Liam's one when he took it out to Dubai. Granted, I didn't drive it, but just the actual visceral g-force that it gives you. But don't it, doesn't it sound like a jet? Oh, 100 percent. It's probably. Do you know? What? I actually love the sound of that car. Yes, you can have a V12, V10, V8, whatever it may be, but the way those quad turbos spool up mm-hmm. and just shoot you off is unreal. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. an unreal experience. Well, Carl, look, I want to change topics and dive more into you, right? Okay. I've been here for about 20 minutes setting up while you've been on the phone, making sales, doing deals. You're a salesman at heart, right? And a lot of my friends are also salesmen as well. And when we speak about it, being a salesman comes, they feel like they're born of it. They feel like they're born of that gift and it's sometimes sparked to them later on in life, whether they're selling sweets in the playground, whether they've got a retail job and they have to do sales there. So I want to know, can you remember the first time you got a taste of that sales life? 
This episode is sponsored by Fireway Pizza, the fastest growing pizza company in the UK. With over 100 locations, you definitely have a store near you. The founder of Fireway was on the show not too long ago, and you can get a slice of the action by using the discount code CEOCAST at fireway.co.uk. Once again, use the discount code CEOCAST at fireway.co.uk. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been kind of different with me and my upbringing where um, it's, it's just part of our making, mm-hmm. you know? to sell things yeah, or buy things is just part, part of our making. And I, you know, I remember I just always used to sell, I always used to sell things, not necessarily cars, but just, just anything, you know, and anything, I mean, you could. anything I could, anything I could. I remember my brother, um, he was, he's a bit older than me. He's four years older than me. When we was in primary school together, he was the one that sold all the milk. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and you just, it was normal to us. It was yeah. just, it was a normal thing. Normal you know? thing. Yeah, like you six-year-old selling the milk at the school. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, well, okay. You know? do, you, do you think that's down to the fact that you were in your family business at the end of the day and you see your dad doing I think doing it's got beef. a lot to do with personality. Okay. I think sales, I could say the same thing as what a very bland individual could say. Yep. We're talking the same language, saying the same words, and it, the outcome is the same price. Yep. And we're selling the same product. But it's the way you say it. But, and the- you, you know, people buy people, I think. Yeah, 100%. Uh, that's what I've learned. And that works. I'm not everyone's cup of tea. So um, there could be times where somebody would rather buy something from somewhere else. So I'm sure, you know, that's the case. Yeah. But I think it's got a lot to do with, with personality. In this case, would you say it's a lot to do with reputation as well? I mean, as in where oh, we're yeah, right no, now. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, you need, you need all the help you can get. Yeah. In business. And, you know, if you've got a lot of things going for you, reputation, um, personality, knowledge, um, and you're selling the right product at the right price, it's a kind of, you know, you've you've that's a full house. So you've got a recipe right there. Yeah, it? you know, that's a full house. If, yeah. if if that person doesn't buy from you, they don't want to buy from anybody. Yeah. You know? So, um, you know, it's just like you get, you know, a real handsome guy stood there and the guy who's just you know mediocre yep. has guy's got absolutely no personality at all whatsoever the girl likes to look at him for like what five minutes she tries to talk to him he's boring as hell <laughs> the mediocre guy's got her laughing yeah they have a good conversation she's you know, one he's gonna go <laughs> thank you that's what's gonna happen so it's the same thing with sales they're both offering the same thing his is probably more attractive than what his is. It's the way you, it's the way you conduct yourself at the end of the day. Yeah, of course. Yeah, the way you present yourself to people. Yeah. So speaking of childhood, then what was it like for you growing up? Then you know, aside from sales, growing up in an environment like this, what was it like for you? It was, it was very hard, and I've, I've realised this later in life. It's very hard to not take for granted your surroundings when you were born into those surroundings. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I get it now. Obviously, this business has changed a hell of a lot, um, which it so it should have in the last I don't know, you know fifteen years, say. Um, and you know, I get I watch kids come here now, and uh, they they literally wouldn't rather be anywhere in the world. Yeah, the little you know, they go to Disneyland or go to see Carl Hartley yeah. in the showroom. They do want to come here. Yeah, and. You know, for me, I look at all these cars, you know, like it should, there's just how much does that car owe me? Who can I sell it to? Same with that one, same with that one. I'm looking at that one, I'm thinking, oh, I wish I'd have sold that last week when I had the chance. To you, it's just business, isn't it? It's complete business. Yeah. So uh, you do take it for granted, but I see kids coming in, their face light up and they can't believe it. And, 
you know, it's not a norm to them, though, is it? Exactly, it's not. You know what I mean, yeah, it's like work. It's like working in a bank. Yeah, you know, if your job in the bank is to count money all day, for example, if you see a bag with thousand ten thousand pounds in it, yeah, it's so, like yeah, just count it, get on with the job. It just doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, it just it just that's your job. If someone else come across that bag, yeah, yeah, the eyes would laugh. Oh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I've never seen that before. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's just um, it was it was great, but it was it was all. We learned every day. Every day we were growing up here, when we left school at three o'clock, there was no, you know, going into the house, playing PlayStation, playing football, mm-hmm. whatever that was. Me, me and my brother would come into come into the office until probably six, half six, until you know, dinner time. Have you always been in this estate? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, and um, we would, you know, just learn what was going on. You know, have an update from... My dad, you know, what he's bought today, what he's sold today, um, what values are doing, what's this, what's that. And I'm talking about, you know, I'm six and my brother's so, 10. Yeah. And um, and that was that was what we did. It's, it's, a, it's life. I'd, I've never gone to work. I just get up and I you just live life. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know, I've got to go to work today. No, it's just like tomorrow I've got to do this because it's part of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? so, so at six years old, coming from from school, Going to your dad, seeing what he's bought, seeing what he's sold. Did it have interest to you or were you just doing it because Tom was doing it, as in your brother? No, no, no. I, it, like I say, I could never remember the first time where I thought to myself, hmm, I'm interested in cars. It was just a thing. It was okay, just, it was just, it was just, just the norm. It was just the norm. Yeah, just, that's, that's yeah. what I was just trying to understand. Yeah, no, it was just, it just happened. And we weren't, we were encouraged to go into the workplace and see what was going on and get a taste of business. Yep. But we were never forced, um, and if we didn't want to, we wouldn't have. But we wanted to. I know I wanted to, um, because it, it interested me, and I loved cars, and and you know I wanted to see what. And there's there's such a great bar. I mean, you was in there setting up a, a minute ago. Is it's it can be like you know Wall Street, yeah, you know, yeah some yeah, days, yeah. you know. To a petrol head, this is everyone's dream. Yeah, especially when you have an office and a glass floor, and below you is a GT2 RS. That's <laughs> yeah. unreal as well. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, um, th- th- this showroom was a a big leap for us. Um, we we built this probably six six years ago, and um, it's we went extremely over budget as you always do when you build something. Um, we got carried away, but it uh, it's done us wonders. It really has. If you were coming today to spend a hundred thousand or a million or ten million, mm-hmm. you'd feel comfortable doing it. Hundred percent, hundred percent, all day long. And you have a budget to cater to all of that as well. Also, and also, not good. A lot of people understand is that I deal with clients completely across the board. The majority of them are high net worth individuals because of the product that I sell. But that high net worth individual might only have, I say only, but he, he might be at our lower end of the spectrum mm-hmm. and have 100,000 he wants to spend on a car. He doesn't get any different treatment to the guy who's bought a car from us for 15 million. He gets exactly the same treatment. He's our client, he's our customer, and he will one day come back. As that person. As that other guy. You know, it it happens, you know. As your wealth builds up. Exactly. Obviously, you know, that's the way it works. Everyone starts their journey somewhere. And I I said this recently, I get such a buzz. Social media is, is great. And I try and interact with my followers as much as I can. But... People, I had a guy recently um, 
he sent me a he sent me a, a, a direct message on like Instagram, say three years ago, and um, he said I'm going to come and buy a supercar from you one day. And I can't remember reading the message. Yep. Um, you probably get tons of messages. Like of course, that. yeah, of course. And it's great motivation. And, and you know, it's like if I inspire people to think to myself, I want to come and buy a car from me. And that's great for me. Yeah, of course, 100%. Three years later, this guy came and bought a car from me. And he said, I sent you a message three years ago. He said, I told you. He said, I said look, I can't remember. He said, I'll show you it. And he, he looked through his phone and he, he, he got the message up. And he said, um, I'm going to come buy a supercar from you one day. And I replied back, I'll be waiting for you. And you should find it here. Like that, that to me, you know, I felt part of his journey. You know, I felt like he achieved what he wanted to do because I kind of spurred him on to do so. Yeah. That gives me more satisfaction than what the profit in the car would be. Do you know what? It's honestly, honestly true. Yeah. Because like I said, growing up a petrolhead, I've spent half my life on auto trade. All right. And I used to go on auto trader and then I'd see pictures of cars on this beautiful lake parked outside. And I was just like, I don't know where this dealership is. This is where I didn't have much knowledge of it, but I'm going to buy a car from these guys one day because the way they present themselves is unreal. And then obviously when you grow up in social media, you see people like yourself and the whole dealership and everything around it. And you think, yeah, this is crazy. This is the sort of place where I'd want to spend money. Yeah. And that's what I want to try and give. I looked at um, my wife's Facebook. Yeah before we built the showroom and all of our friends they'd go to um I think it's more of a female thing to do but it's becoming um you know a thing to do now where you they go into Louis Vuitton they buy whatever they buy mm-hmm. and they have a picture with their carrier bag yeah. outside yeah. the shop yeah, yeah, yeah you know what I mean <laughs> yeah I have to prove it's with the same sign yeah. yeah, it's all yeah. fake I'm just bought it you know what yeah. I mean? if you're if you're really picky you put the receipt on and yeah. everything <laughs> right and I thought I want to try and create that for men, mm-hmm. I want to try and create, when someone comes and buys a car, they are proud of where they bought it from. And they they want to say, you know, they're, they're proud to wear our name on their number plates at the bottom. Yep. And, you know, they want to come to a place where they, you know, they want a picture outside of, of, of where they're buying the car or on the glass floor. or on, They want that lake picture. You know how many times I've bought a car from, or I've sold a car to somebody and they've said, Carl, can you get the lake pictures on a USB for me? Because I want to get them blown up and put in my put in my garage. Yeah, that'd be sick. You know, yeah. Nearly every nearly every person does that. Yeah, does that. Yeah, I can imagine. Talk to me. I want to ask you this question, right? You've seen experienced people from different levels of wealth. Yeah, you've got people buying million pound cars from you, fifteen million pounds, or whatever the case may mm-hmm. be. Do you notice any sort of traits, common traits within those people that have kind of made them successful, or the way they conduct themselves, the way they carry themselves? Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, um, the a lot of people are people on the lower lower um, end of the bracket are more penny wise and pound foolish, mm-hmm. um, and that's what they need to what try. Mean, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is we'll have a car for you know, um, let's just say one hundred and fifty grand. Yep. And obviously, because that car is probably more of a mass produced item, there's other dealerships that have similar cars in comparison. Okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. For similar money. Yep. And they will say, you know, your car's 150. I can buy a similar car for 145. Yeah, but that car's done 5,000 miles more. It's not got half the spec of what this car is. And, you know, look who you're buying it from. Yeah, but, you know, it's five grand, it's five grand, it's five grand. In the long term, they end up losing 10,000 more 
because their car is higher mileage, not quite the right color or the right spec, and they bought it from a place where someone goes, oh, you know, that's Mr. Service or that's done that, or yeah. you know, people don't do their due diligence. Um, I find people at the higher end of the scale um, want what they want. They, they still want a deal. Everyone wants a deal. Yeah, of course. And they're hard negotiators, and they're hard negotiators for a reason. You know, that's why they're so successful. Um, but I find people at the higher end, as long as, as long as you give them what they want, and you make life very easy for them. These people are coming to spend money. They're not going to earn money. Mm-hmm. I, I'll work as hard as anybody to earn money. Yep. When it comes to spending, I don't want to work very hard to do it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want someone who doesn't return my calls. I don't want someone who can't deliver me the car until two weeks. I don't want, you know, I want what I want. You want it there and then basically. And I want it yeah, easy. easy, yeah. You know? So that's, that's, that's what we cater to do. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anywhere... Anywhere, I would say probably the world that you can get catered to than what you can here. We have an on-site spa therapist. You come with your missus. Yep. How many times have you been shopping with your missus and Harvey Nichols? And she has she's she's been looking at clothes or whatever for an hour now, and you are fed up. Yeah. Yeah. You yep. want to leave many many times. Getting on your nerves. Yep. Well, this that's the same thing when. You bring your missus here. It's the same thing. Yeah. Looking at this car, looking at that car. Oh, I'm sick. I want to go home. Yeah. As long as she's occupied, go and get your hair done, your nails done, have a massage. You can do it all here. And you have the on-site here? Yeah. That's unreal. Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't even know that. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah. Do you want a massage? I might as well get one off this podcast, 100%. <laughs> Where did you think of that one from? We just, we. it's experience. Okay, just experience. It's just experience. Yeah. You know, someone wants, someone is three hours away and they want to see the car. And they're like, oh, Carl, you know, I'd buy it if I was there. I just, I can't get time. I, you know, I haven't got the time to go three hours there, three hours back. We'll send a helicopter to pick them up. That's crazy. Helicopter, pick them up, come here. Yeah, done. done, yeah. Yeah. Or if that isn't the case, how about this? How about we put the car on a, tra- on a truck? We drive it to you, we put it on your drive. Put it outside your office. Do you like it? Yeah, I like it. All right, send the money, done. Done, yeah. You know, who else does that? How many of your clients are... Because obviously you can ship cars abroad anywhere you want, right? Mm-hmm. So how many of what's the ratio between cars that are kept in the UK and cars that you ship abroad? Because in my head, when I think of wealthy client, I my brain automatically goes to somewhere like Dubai mm-hmm. because they've just got oil money or oil money, tourist money, whatever the case may be, right? Mm-hmm. So what's the ratio like for you? Well, what you got to think of that's in that scenario is um, is duty and tax and import duties and mm-hmm. luxury car tax and stuff like that plus. Dubai um, steering wheels on the left-hand side. Yep. So the predominantly all our cars are right-hand drive, unless we're talking about Bugattis, 918 Spiders, Enzos, LaFerraris, that kind of stuff, where they only make them in left-hand drive. Yep. Those cars, we ship all over the world. Brexit's made it a bit harder for us because we're not doing so much business with Europe anymore, mm-hmm. but we're kind of doing more business with the Far East. Um the ratio it depends on the car. How many how many uh, Hurricane STOs have I sold abroad? None. How many LaFerraris have I sold abroad? Loads. Loads. Yeah. You know, so it, it it all depends on the car. Yeah, fair enough. Well, what about for example that Pagani Wero right hand drive? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which there's not many right hand drive. Three. Ones. Three for the UK. I think eight in total. Worldwide, so that's very very small, right? Mm. So if you was to send that car abroad, it would have to go to another right-hand drive. It would have to go to Australia, South Africa, Malaysia, Singapore. 
Yeah. Japan. Um, which is which is where they're loved. Yeah. The Paganis. So, yeah, I think um, I'm talking to somebody at the minute um, who is based in Australia for that car. You said you wouldn't sell that car. I know. So I know we had this conversation off, off camera, but mm. I'm going to bring it up on camera. Yeah, yeah. You know, for me, when I look at, when I see that car for sale, that shows me that at the end of the day, you are a salesman and everything's got a price on it. Whether you buy it for personal use or whether you buy it for business, everything's got a price on it. Mm -hmm. So even in the times where you said, I wouldn't sell that car, I don't want to sell it, I love it. If someone offered you five million, would you then say? So when I made those comments, um, that was how I was feeling at the time that I made those comments. Mm -hmm. Circumstances change. Um, the car's gone up a hell of a lot in value. Um, and I've had it now for three years. I loved it. I enjoy it. Whenever I sell it, whoever I sell it to, for whatever amount I sell it for, I'll always regret it. I know that. But uh, my wife, my kids, my family, they, um, you know, they want a bigger house. They want more land. They want um, their needs. And I'm looking at that and it's, you know, it's, it's all of that. It's a seven bedroom country estate somewhere, <laughs> you know, and it's just there. Yeah. You know, and, and then I question, you know, how often do I actually use it? And then I question, well, it's gone up a lot in value. It's continuing to go up as soon as the Utopia is, which is the successor to that car. Mm -hmm. As soon as that's launched, the Huayra will go through the roof again. That's always what happens. Yeah. And, you know, let someone else have the... I, I've I've had massive benefit out of that car. Yeah. Financially. But, you know, you can't you can't take it all. Yeah, no, no. You know, you let, let someone else have it. What do you think that car will be worth in the future? Oh, I think, you know, if you... It will always... It will always... Right now, you've got it listed for 2.8, am I right? 2.650. 2.650. Yeah. So what do you think it will be worth then, yeah? Oh, look, I think... I don't think there's any stop in those cars um, because... You know, if you look at the um, the Pagani Zonda, you know, a Huayra will never be worth as much as a Zonda for the reasons that we talked about on the Speciale. Yeah. You know, it's V12, naturally aspirated, manual. Those are just unreal special cars. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it was, it's very, the build quality is nowhere near the the, the Huayra, mm. you know, but we're talking, you know, there's 15 years in the difference or 12 yeah, years sure, in the yeah. difference. So, yeah. it's like, I mean, that, that's the best build quality car i've ever ever really? ever seen yeah even today that car's 10 years old yeah even in today's i mean i was standards. looking at the interior that is a work of art but i didn't know you, i didn't think you was going fast to say it's the best build quality as well it's unbelievable that's crazy it's unbelievable i mean it's just it's unbelievable they have it by a wire <laughs> so um i where do, where do i think they'll stop i don't know who knows um you know i know i'll look back on that car one day and you know I'll I'll think oh god that car today is probably worth seven million. Yeah, so, yeah, mad. You know it, it will be. You know a Zonda a Zonda starts at five million now. That's that's they that's your starter kit, and that's even it, if you yeah. could find one. There was one that that was uh, got into an accident. I think it was in South of France, I believe it was, and I think that one was valued at twenty million euros. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, they go they go from they go from, if you came to me today and said, Carl, I want. A Pagani Zonda, I don't care if it's right or left-hand drive. I don't care if it's coupe or convertible. Don't care. I just want one within the next week. There's five million pounds. 
I would seriously struggle to find you on. Okay, so I'm going to ask you this then, as we're on the topic of it. So, the exact same scenario, yeah. Let's just say the budget's not 5 million. I'm going to say, Carl, look, I want a Zonda. Here's 12 million, for example. What's your first step to finding these cars? Because they're not exactly going to be listed. And I'm sure it's one of those ones where you've got to find out who the owner is and make them a good offer, right? I know of a lot. I know of every car there is. You could say to me, Carl, I want to buy a CLK GTR Roadster. Yeah. One of two cars. Yep. I know a guy has got one. So, but how do you meet these guys, or how do you know these guys? Is it because you've sold them the car, or because uh, sometimes it is on as a car like that? It's not the case, but it's I've sold them something, mm-hmm. or I've met them somewhere, or I know their friend who introduced me to them, yeah. or and then we've got in contact, and you know, you see, as as much as I've got good contacts, I am my good contacts, good contact. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So they think, I need to know that guy because I've got loads of cars and if I ever want to shift one or, or, or... He's the guy. I need to introduce myself to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? You are the link between them and their financial... Exactly. The guy, One guy is in, let's say, he owns a coal mine mm-hmm. in South Africa. Yeah? And he loves cars. And the other guy is a Chinese tech wizard who's made all his money from tech they are never going to be in the same room as each other not ever Mm. not ever unless it revolves around a car unless they go on the Pagani Ronduno drive and he has a Pagani and he has a Pagani that's the only time they meet do you know what I was was speaking to this with someone as well right the beautiful thing about cars is that it's a universal language connects people yeah connects people there and then so I'm a connector yeah the connector (laughs) do you think A lot of your business relies on your network. This episode is sponsored by Sodomosk, the UK's leading fragrance brand specialising in oods and musks. They have some of the longest lasting perfumes you can try and with over 20 locations you can certainly smell it for yourself. And you can also check out Sodomosk online by visiting www.sodomosk.com and checking out the wide range that they have to offer. I personally use Abed Ombre but I'm sure you'll find a perfume that fits you. So make sure you come down to a Sodomosk store or check out the website using the link in the description. All of it? All of it? Yeah, of course. How much? In, how many of like network and reputation? Network and reputation, right? Mm-hmm. So you list a car up for sale, yeah. Whether it's on your website or trade, or whatever the case may be. How many times is it actually sold from that ad, or sold because you've made calls to X amount of people and one of them has oh, bought it? We sell cars every day from both scenarios. Um, a better example is when somebody, and this happens a lot, somebody has a car on sale or return uh, at uh, another dealership who doesn't quite have as good a reputation or any reputation and um, they either haven't got the network or can't be bothered to exhaust their network in order to sell that car. Yep. Um, the guy who owns the car called me up and go, Carl, they've had the car for two months and not sold it. I'll buy it from him. I'll list it up at the same price as what the other dealerships had it up for, for for two months. I had it recently and the dealership had a car for 12 months. I listed it at the same price I sold it within a day because I know how to sell things. Because <laughs> you know? exactly what we're going back to, you know, being the salesperson, you know, the type of person you're buying from, the business that you're buying from. Earlier we were talking about this conversation in the podcast, but yeah. You're not going to sell a vegan a piece of the best piece of Wagyu steak in the world. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's not happening. You're in the wrong room. Yeah. You know, you need to go and find the room that you want to be in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? No, for sure. These cars are, so you re- you don't do SOR, do you, sale or return? 
Um, we do. Yeah. We do. We um we find it's more beneficial for the client and for us to just do a straight transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes that doesn't work um, for the client for various reasons. One could be, Carl, I want mega money for my car. You're the man to sell it. But I'm not in a rush. I don't need the money. Mm-hmm. It can sit there, not not bothered. Another one could be, shoes on the other foot. I could say to you, you've got an M4. Um, I got a client asked me for an M4 last week and... I think he'd buy your car. Can I show it to him? Mm-hmm. And you'll go, well, yeah, go on then. Yeah, why not? So I don't have to commit. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so it works both ways. But, I'll, you know, I, I see dealerships these days. We, we're always sending adverts out there. You've probably seen, we want to buy your car today. Yeah. We will pay more and collect today. And now I see dealerships, nearly every dealership go, do you want to sell your car? Let us SOR it for you. Do you think it's become like a trend? How is someone going to call you over they call me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how, is, how is that going to happen? You yeah. know? And, and here's what I'm trying to understand with the other side of things, yeah, where you buy the cars, yeah? So say a... Let's take your wire, for example, because that's, to my understanding, the most expensive car in this, in this room here right now, right? Yeah, it will be, yeah. So let's just say you bought this for the intentions of selling it, yeah? Mm-hmm. Someone came to you, you bought it, to you, is that putting that two million quid into a car, is that not a risk? Because at the end of the day, there's two million quid sitting there and now you've got to rely on that being sold before that two million is out again. Or would you only buy it knowing that you've got a customer on the other end for it? Well, um, two scenarios why I'm not worried about that. Number one is I'm not down to my last two million. Mm-hmm. So I don't care. Okay, yeah. I want to try and get as many of, get rid of as many two millions as I possibly can yeah. to put into stock. <laughs> and number two, I'm not investing two million in the car I'm investing it in myself and my knowledge mm-hmm. and my abilities so that's the way I look at it yeah fair play fair play oh I want to dive it back to your story right because I think we stopped off when you were six years old yeah. and we missed out a whole chunk there's only 30 years to go. <laughs> there's only 30 years to go yeah <laughs> so we missed out a whole chunk so where did it go from you from there so you're in school now you come home you know you, you see your dad you see what's going on with the business where does it go from there when did you start experiencing things for yourself because I, I from what I've heard and thought I know you've dropped out of school early right yeah I dropped out of school when I was um 11 11 years old I left primary school mm-hmm. dropped out of school um and between the age of six and 11 um I had a lust for cars but also business but I didn't know business at the time yeah I didn't know I loved business I just knew I loved cars yeah you know, and I didn't love racing cars. I didn't love valeting cars. I loved to be around people buying and selling cars, which is business. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know it was business at the time. Yeah, 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 for sure. So then when I, um, my dad has always been extremely supportive of me and my brother. He, d- he didn't treat us like kids when we were kids. Um, he, we, we both, um, you know, we both expressed how we didn't want to go to school anymore. Yeah, may I, I was going to ask you, may I ask you, like, how did he take that? Uh, like I say, he, uh, he, he treated us like adults when mm-hmm. we were young. And he's like, okay, well, you don't want to go to school no more. Okay, so so what are you going to do? Well, I want to buy and sell cars. We'll come to the business. Oh, you want to come to the business? All right. We go to work every day, like I do. Yeah. And what, you think you can do that? Yeah. 
Okay. Well, if that's what you want to do, he he sort of wanted to set us up to fail. If that made sense, mm-hmm. you know. Go on then, because it's that easy. You can do it. Yeah, you know the hard way. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, we I think he knew we would prove him wrong. Yeah, and really, we were proving him right because I know I know he knew that I could do it or we could do it. Um, but by him going, yeah, okay. Well, look, anything you need, I'll support you, and you know, blah 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 blah. That 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 doesn't ignite that fire inside of a young man to want to prove himself. Because you think, oh, if I do or if I don't, doesn't make. I've got support anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I get that hundred percent. You want to prove to your dad, I got this. I could do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, we were. Well, I was given an ultimatum at when I left school at uh, primary school age. I think it was eleven. I can't remember if it was eleven or twelve. Um, and he was like, right, okay, so uh, this is the scenario. You're going to go to work. You're going to buy and sell cars. And obviously, I wasn't using my own money. I was using the money that was in the business that was his. Um, and you need to be able to buy your part in this business by the time you're 18. What that consists of is you need to pay for the structures, the showroom. A, a a third of it at the time because my brother was already in the business. Oh, okay, so yeah. Uh, you you need to pay for the stock. You need to pay for your third for that stool. Mm-hmm. You know that TV, that fire third, alarm, third everything, everything. Third yeah. of everything, right? And how you're going to do that is you're going to buy and sell a car, and whatever the profit is out the car that you buy or sell, you get a third. Mm-hmm. On that third, you got to pay tax. You got to pay VAT. On that third as well. On that third. Yeah. Yeah. So all of a sudden now, your profit margins got very small. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I can (laughs) imagine. And then you look how much you need to earn to pay for all this stuff that you need to do. Yeah. And you think, right, let's get it to work. Um, And, you know, that's what spurred me on. That's why I've worked every day, every single day. Since I left school, since you left school, every single day, every single day, which is crazy. You know, I was recently, I was recently away. My wife and the kids they spend the summer out in in Spain, and I go there for a week, come back for a week, go there for a week. You know, when I can, when I when I think, oh, I've got a few free days here, but it doesn't mean I'm not working. And my wife would say, "Will you just, you know, we just stop for a second? I'm like, if I can't work, I won't enjoy my holiday. <laughs> you know, well, the same because the, the beauty of this is, yes, you you have the dealership. Yes, we need the dealership to have the cars here, but most of your business is probably done with phone calls. You know, phone, exactly what's done. Mobile phone, WhatsApp. Yeah, I that, can imagine. But that's selling. Yeah, the different side of the business is buying. So I've got to be there to buy something. Okay. Yeah. You know. So that's why I can't be too, you know, I, I can buy certain things blind mm-hmm. and I do have a good staff that they can go and be my eyes and ears when I'm not here. Yep. But the 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 animal of this business, what I have created, me and my dad have created, is people follow us and they want to buy a car or sell a car to us. Yeah. They don't want to really buy a car from somebody they don't know, a, a salesman who is still acting on behalf of us. They want the experience of dealing with us. 100%. And we have created that unknowingly. So it takes off. There's no like, oh, I can just do what I do from a boat in the south of France. Mm-hmm. No, because that guy, Carl, if I can't deal with you, I'm not 
I'm not dealing. You're not doing it, yeah. Yeah, so, not in it. So that's that's a conundrum that that we have. So when you left school and you first started on the dealership, you started working here now, yeah. Mm-hmm. Talk to me. What was your first transaction? Whether it was you buying a car or selling a car, can you remember? So what? What is what? What? Um, the setup how it was. What we used to do is my dad would take a phone call. Yep. Um, he would say to the client who was selling a car, for example, if they're selling, okay, I want to send my son round. He's got to come and have a look at the car, and um, we'll talk when he's there. Okay, no problem. So I used to go around, look at the car, find out what if there was any defects on the car, how much we'd kind of, what I thought when he's scoff wheel, chip on the windscreen, do this, do that, whatever it was. Relay it back to my dad. Dad, I think we need to spend £2,000 on this car to get it back to showroom ready. Okay. And then he would say, right, what do you think it's worth? He's already had this conversation with the customer. Okay, yeah. But he hasn't had the conversation with me yet. So what do you think it's worth? Now, there is no way you could turn around and go, oh, I don't know. So what are you then? Are you are you a are you a car dealer or are you an ins- are you an inspector? Yeah. What, at that point, what good are you for the business? Exactly. Yeah. What do you mean? You don't know. Yeah. I told you yesterday you were going to see this car. It's up to you to do the research mm-hmm. because you're going. Yeah. You have to find out. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so um, I would already I would research the market that night, um, or earlier that day, see what I thought it was worth. Mm-hmm. Then got there and realized that it needs a bit of money spending on the car. Some some didn't. Some didn't. Yep. Um. And, you know, do it that way. Done that for a couple of years. Um, when it comes to sales, you can't, I don't think you can teach sales. That's what I'm saying. I think it comes into a natural instinct inside yeah. you that's brought I up. mean, look, first, the first thing you need to do in sales is realize how much you paid, what your expenses are. Yep. And then sell it for more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's simple, really. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Can you can you remember? So, for example, the setup that you just explained, yeah. Can you remember the very first car that your dad told you to go and see? No, not at all. What no. The, okay, what was the first one that gave you some sort of memory? I remember the very first car that I bought and sold completely off my own back, with no assistance, no help, no um, no advice, nothing. Mm-hmm. What was it? It was it was a 2001 BMW M3 E46. Sick car. Yeah, yeah. great car. Yeah. Um, I remember how much I paid. I paid £45,000 for it. And I was 14 years old. And I bought it from central London. Mm-hmm. The car I, was 14 years old? No, I was 14. Oh, you were 14. Okay, yeah, yeah. The car was brand new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I bought it from central London. And I drove it home. Yeah, uh, fourteen At years 14. old. So you bought, and I sold home. it on the way home. And for people who who don't know, that's a two and a half hour drive, roughly, right? Yeah, and it's highly illegal now. So don't do that. I'm not <laughs> telling you to do that. How did you get away with that? <laughs> Driving at fourteen years old. Yeah, How did you yeah, get away yeah, with but, that? You know, free. And that you know, I used to drive when I was younger. Um, without. I started driving when I was younger without my dad's acknowledgement that I was driving when I was younger, but it yeah. didn't take him long to find out. As we all do, yeah. Uh, it didn't take him long to find out. And then he was like, what are you doing? So I was like, well, I had to go and see this car. Yeah. I bought your car. But I, what other choice have I got? Yeah, who's going to drive the empty car? Yeah, and he's like, you must have oh, loved that. You, this is, you shouldn't do this. This is stupid. You, you know, you're in a lot of trouble, blah, blah, blah. And being 14, 15, like, you don't think about anything like yeah, that. Yeah, no, no, no. You just, you just, 
I'm just money focused. And that's kind of when the my love of cars transitioned into love of business, mm-hmm. you know? So that point, so you said you bought and sold the M3 on the way home, yeah? Mm-hmm. So you picked it up. How did you sell it on the way home? Uh, they, um, there was a group buyer for a, um, a, a company called Sitna. Have you heard of Sitna? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sitna, As in the BMW group, yeah, right? Yeah, a BMW yeah. group. Yep. BMW, Mercedes, so Ferrari, yeah. whatever they was. And, um, uh, you know, the key core of our business is we're traders. You know, we, mm-hmm. like I've just said, you figure out how much you bought it for, you figure out your expenses, you sell it for more. Okay, you might want to sell it for this much more. Yep. But in realistic terms, a quick profit's a good profit and you yep. can move on and do something else. 100%, yep. That's that's the way our business is is based, yep. really. Um, So I picked the phone up to um the the head buyer of Sitna, who I would be in this, not this showroom, but in the other showroom, from when I was five years old. Mm-hmm. You'd see him three days a week. But I'd do a lot of business with him. So I thought, you know what? His name's Jeremy Mallet, by the way. And yep. his son, Thomas, will probably watch this podcast because he's also involved in the car industry. Oh, is he? Sick. And, um, and um, he's, he's a great guy. Um, and his dad is a piece of furniture here to us. You know? Yeah. And um, anyway, so I called, called Jeremy. And I said, Jeremy, I've got a new M3. Oh, I said, um, do you want to buy it? And Jeremy, because he's known me from being no age like a, a kid would would treat me as he would my dad's he, well how much is it Carl I bought it for 45 and I asked him 48 and he said um, no no it's not worth 48 I won't give you 48 I give you 45 so I said no I can't take that Jeremy no problem don't worry about it we'll just retail it yep I'll give you 46 so 46 turned into I come down to 47 and he said, look, we're a thousand pounds away. Just, should we just split it? And we'll make it up on the next deal. Yeah. Okay. No problem. Done. Done. Just like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's sweet. I see the power and the art of negotiating is something else. You know. But you also, negotiation. I was, I was with a, a very successful guy recently in, in, in Spain, in Marbella. One of my wife's friends, husbands, who's very, very successful guy and, um, very highly educated, but also, um, very highly business taught you know and we we had the same conversation you you can't learn to negotiate you know you, you can't learn to negotiate you you don't think you have no you have to you have to have learned from experience on negotiating okay that makes you know? sense because the way i was gonna <clears throat> the way i was gonna explain it is i remember I used to go to marrakesh as a family when i was younger and you'd go to the markets I'd see my dad constantly negotiating on prices for whatever the case may be at the market stores. So I was going to say that kind of taught me. His experience. Yeah. You've seen it happen. You've yeah. seen it done. Then you've done it and you've realised that you could have negotiated harder oh, so next yeah. time you will. Yeah. So and then, then you've yeah. realised someone's body language when you thought, oh, you know what? I took that I took that price for that commodity that I had. Mm-hmm. And, you know, looking back on it now, he'd have paid more because his body language, things you remember he would have paid more. So that's how you learn to negotiate. You have to know you, you, who you're negotiating with. You I, want, I want to know your sales tactic here, yeah? So let's just say me and you are negotiating right now. Yeah. Um, Over this speciality right here, yeah? And then it gets to a price. We're not meeting at a price. Mm-hmm. 
but we're close to it. And you know that we're close to it. Why are we not meeting at the price? Say that again, sorry? Why are we not meeting at the... Why Why can't we get to... Okay, I'll, I'll give you an example. How much are you selling that car for? 385. Okay, 385. So let's just say it's 385. I've offered you 350 or something, right? Okay. Um, and the, the lowest you've come down to is, I don't know, 370. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to budget anything more. Okay. Yeah. If I'm one of those customers that says, all right, Carl, no worries. See you later. And, and kind of walks off from the deal. Mm-hmm. What's your strategy to get me back in the deal? So what I would say to you on that specific car is that's 1,300 miles from new mm-hmm. in the most desirable color for a speciale. Yep. It's two owners. It's the best one on the market. At three, not that I would take 370, by the way, so say you no, know, but let's just say we were talking about it. At 370, that car is 40,000 pounds less than anything that can be compared to it. So what I'm thinking is, look, that car's not for you. But if your budget is 350, I'll get you a 7,000 mile car mm. in a more, less desirable color. And and then you're going to go, well, well, I don't want to buy a 7,000 mile car. I and I don't want a less desirable color. What don't you think I can don't, don't you think I can stretch to that one? Yeah, you're well, gonna, no, obviously, you're gonna start selling to me that's yeah. not a brand color. No, <laughs> obviously not. You know, you've got a budget and that's your budget. Yeah. And you go, well, and then all of a sudden you're back in the room. Kind of I don't I don't want a seven thousand mile car. Yeah. I want a thirteen hundred, that's why I'm here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, you're not you're not at the table, mate. We yeah. we we're not we're not in the same room. <laughs> yeah, so you so need let's to do a deal. You know? Yeah. That makes sense. And usually how long do negotiations about cars last for? Because I can imagine they can. I can. T- I can. I can be negotiating with some people for a month, and I can then be negotiating with some people on four WhatsApp texts. Yeah. How much is that car? Three eighty-five. We take three seventy. No. How much will you take? I take three eighty. We take three seventy-five for it today. Yeah, go on then. <laughs> done. Yeah. Done. Deliver me the car next week. Okay, done. And then you get some people. They come. They see the car. They go home. They bring their wife. They're proper people. They've got the money. They're going to buy. Yeah. But it's just their. It's their mentality, and it's just. It's just who they are, their personality. They don't like to jump into things. They're not rash. They're not quite sure what they're buying, but they mm-hmm. do want to buy one. So they go home and then they research everything and watch every single YouTube video. Yeah, oh, yeah. What Jeremy Clarkson said about it like, 10 yeah. years ago. And you're like, oh, God. You know. <laughs> I feel like. I but you've still got to cater to them sometimes. and you've still got to give them the time they need. Like, you really want to say, for fuck's sake, will you just pull the trigger or just not? Buy it, yeah. You, I know <laughs> well, and you, you know, know you're going to buy it. Yeah. We both know you're going to buy it. Yeah. Your wife gives you the thumbs up. You've seen it twice. You've drove it. It's a good price. You're going to buy it. Yeah, 100%. And they do end up buying it, but you just got to step back and give them the room, give them the space. And that's where, when I, when I said to you, you can't learn how to negotiate, you have to be able to read someone's personality in order to know how to negotiate with that person. You know? Someone comes to me and they go, Carl, um, I've got this car. I've got this uh, Ferrari SF90. And I've got a massive tax bill that's coming in. I need to sell the car today. Mm-hmm. And I've called around everywhere and I can't get a bid for it. Well, he's not going to be a hard negotiator, is he? No, not at all, no, because he's no. going to seem like he's a bit desperate. To- exactly. Yeah. Flip. Let's flip it. You go to, someone walks in the showroom and he goes, oh, that SF90, white with the Italian stripe. I've looked for a white one for 12 months. Can't find one anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's got the right seats. Oh, I love it. Well, he's not going to be a hard negotiator either, is he? No, 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 I don't Because he's come in and seen the car exactly, exactly what he wants. Exactly, yeah. Flip it again. You get someone who comes in and goes, the car's an SF90. I don't like white. It's a nice car. I mean, I can live with it, 
But I really want a red one. How much is it? 385 yeah. Then I think, oh, I can tempt him into this car on price. Mm -hmm. He kind of likes it. He's here. It's the car he likes. It's just not the right color. Sometimes, you know, you can you can gauge from somebody when they're here, they're either buying or they're not. Someone If someone comes in, they're buying a car today because they're, they're here to buy a car. Yeah. They haven't got time to do this all week and go and see another car and drive to Colchester to see one and they yeah, go up yeah, to Newcastle. Yeah. Hasn't got time. Yeah. So I'm here by the guy. So he, he then holds the negotiation cards mm -hmm. because he knows that if I can afford to take the price that would get him into the car that I'm going to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But then you also have, you have your product. Someone comes into me and they want a right-hand drive Pagani Huayra. Well, guess what? They're not getting anyone else. I've got the only one. Yeah. So do as you wish. <laughs> you know? Then the ball's in your call fully. The car's worth what I say it's worth. Yeah. Because you can't get anywhere else anyway. Go and buy another one. It's not exactly like a horror. Oh, car, you know, it's, it's, I don't like the color. Yeah. Go and buy another one. Yeah. And I'm sure with, as the value increases with prices of cars, negotiations also become more of struggle or? No. No? The opposite. Opposite, easier. Mm -hmm. oh, fair play. I want to ask you this, Carl, right? So you joined the business with your dad now. He's, he's in, in a, another generation to you and myself. Mm -hmm. What sort of values and traits would you say you have brought to the business? Because I believe younger generations always bring something fresh and new mm -hmm. to when they're joining businesses, co-businesses, existing businesses. What is it would you say that you've brought here? That wasn't necessarily. Well, look, this business was already a, 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 a you know quite a, a established established business. Say, if I joined the business twenty two years ago, yeah, no, yeah, twenty two years ago, twenty three years ago, um, I would like to think I am responsible for, you know, our stock levels going up probably three hundred percent, our profits going up substantially. Mm -hmm. Uh, networking clients going up but it's all about evolution you can't say oh he is single-handedly responsible for for that and he is because we're a partnership we work together so it's it's hard but i i feel like um obviously the social media aspect of the way the world is now yeah you know it needed a younger person to bring that into the form into a business yeah and to use it Mm -hmm. And now my dad is like flat out on social media. Yeah. He's constantly like, he's just That's like my he's, dad is all he's flat well. out. He's yeah. funny, man. He's funny. He has this, he has this, um, he, he makes these videos where he's like, it's 8am 8, it's 8 in the morning. And now it gives people an insight to how we were brought up. It's 8am in the morning. If you're not out of bed and you're not at work, you're a lazy bastard. <laughs> yeah? yeah. So if you don't think you are, you are. I'm yeah. sorry, TH said that you are a lazy bastard. Get up, go to work. I love that generation, man. I love the rawness of, of like your gen the generation of my dad as well. My dad's so raw like that as well. My dad would call people lazy bastard or whatever. He's created his own email address yeah. for people to email him. It's something like um uh I'm a lazy bastard at th.com. <laughs> what? <laughs> so people, and this is unbelievable, you get like big CEOs of companies. They will email him and go, Tom, I feel better sending you this email. I went out last night, didn't get back till late. I did not get out of bed today until half nine. 
I'm a lazy bastard. I've told the rest of the, the workplace that I just was feeling a bit under the weather. I'll be in at 10 o'clock or whatever. The truth is I didn't get out of bed. I'm a lazy bastard. I've told you and now I feel better for it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he loves it. He loves it. So I'll ask you on that note then, yeah, is what sort of key factors play a part into success? Obviously, we've realised that laziness is quite detrimental to success. Oh, I don't know any successful lazy person. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's impossible. It's like you're saying I don't know any fit fat person. Yeah, no, no. You know, they don't go hand in hand. Yeah. So what would you say are the key factors to determine someone's success? I think you've got to be motivated mm-hmm. and you've got to be willing to do what the next man won't do. You know, if mm. he's getting up at seven, you get up at six. If he's finishing at eight, you're finishing at nine. If he won't drive 500 miles to do whatever he's got to do, you make sure you do. Yeah. You know, um, and also the the most successful people that I know, um, they're, they're failures. You know, they, they fail a lot and have failed a lot. Time and time again. Time and time and time and time again. They failed a lot. Yeah. But they never failed. They just didn't get there at that point. It's, but they learned from that and they changed their outlooks and they done it in a different way. Yeah. And then that failed. So I thought, right, we need to do it a different way. You know, Usain Bolt made a, a great um, statement. He said, I trained for five years to run for nine seconds. That's crazy. You know, he trained for five years every day so he could run for nine seconds. Mm. Statements like that. You think, was it worth it? Yeah. Of course it's worth yeah. it. It puts things into perspective, you know, all these times you've got to train and once again, fell, 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 fell. But in the end, the long run of it, it's going to work out. And this is what I don't get with schools. I listen to things like that. A guy that is the most successful in the world at what he's done. The greatest. And when he says something, he gives people advice on how to be the greatest. You listen. Yep. Because he's been there and he's done it. You go to university, you go to college, and you've been in school all your life. And you're... I mean, I don't even know what age you are when you go to university. What, are you 18, 19? Yeah, right, 18, 19. 18, yeah. 19. You're in, you're in university and you've got your head screwed on and you realise you don't want to study um, something that is not going to help you in life. You want to study business. Yeah. So, you know, you're off, got your head screwed on a bit. You know where you want to go. And then you're getting taught business by someone who has never had a business. Doesn't make sense. It's never been successful in business. Yeah. And doesn't know what it is to... Have a business, make a business, win at business. They have no idea. I'm not going to teach you how to play darts because I don't know how to play darts. <laughs> you know, go to someone who's very good at darts. Yeah, and arguably the best way to learn things is by experiencing it in the first place. Exactly. This episode is sponsored by Energy Geeks. Energy Geeks are a leading utility consultancy specialising battling the rising prices of business utilities in the market. They specialise in the procurement of business energy contracts and their direct relationships allow them to find the most competitive prices on the market, helping you find out exactly what you want and need. They can also help facilitate the change of tenancies, sort out any billing issues you may have or simply offer you the most transparent advice available. The list of what they could do is endless. So head to the website energygeeks.co.uk. The link is on the screen right now. Also in the description. Check it out and see what they can do for you. So how has a teacher got any experience yeah. in business? They might be extremely qualified at being a teacher, and they could teach you how to be a teacher. Yeah, but they can't. Teach but they you can't teach you how to be an entrepreneur, how to be successful in business because they've never been it. Yeah. And here's a funny thing that you should know. My dad didn't go to school. They do not. No, not at school whatsoever. 
Okay. Didn't go to school. I mean, he probably had a handful of days in his life in school. Yeah. And now he gives seminars at colleges, at universities, at really, really major private schools. And even the schools come here for him to lecture them on business. Mm-hmm. And he's never been, to, he's never set foot in a school before. Yes, man. And he's to do a podcast with your dad as well. He's, he's, that he's, story he's sounds insane. D- d- dyslexic. Um, his writing, only he can read. <laughs> you know, he'll write something down. I'm like, oh, I don't know why. They're like, <laughs> what clue what that says. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and even sometimes he's like, what, what did I say? <laughs> what, what did I write myself? <laughs> exactly. So that's a great, um, that's a, that, that's, that's a great, um, you know, win for him. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I've got, I've got three kids. Uh, I'm just going to ask you this. So you're, you've got three kids all very young. Yeah. If they get to that point where they say, you know what, dad, I want to leave school as well. With you had leaving school as well, when you were younger, what would you say to your kids when they say they want to leave? So I'm in, I'm in a predicament here where I, I'm not an educated person. I've, I've sort of learned along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've tried to learn as much as I possibly can along the way. And I've got to certain points in life where I think, I don't know enough about that subject. I'm going to learn more about it, yep. um, which you'd have probably learned in school earlier. Mm-hmm. But I was too busy making money to sit and learn about VAT mm-hmm. because earning money teaches you about VAT, you know, as an example. Yeah. But, you know, I look at my kids and I'd love all of them. I've got one boy and two girls and I would love all of them to want to join the business. Um, you know, I, I'd, I'd love that. They might want to, they might not want to. If they do want to, and they come to me and they say, Dad, I want to leave school. I at least, like I sent them to a really good school at the minute and a lot better school than, than I went to. Um, and I want them to learn. I want them to be better than me. I want them to leave school knowing a lot more than I knew. So I can take what I've learned from my dad who took what he learnt from his dad and we can push for a better generation. Yep. So I'd love my kids to speak different languages. I mean, that holds me back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd love to be able to do that. I'd love for my kids to, to, to be more educated on every aspect so they, don't, so they don't have to employ somebody to find out the answer to something, you know? If I don't know the question to something, I will call my accountant. I'll speak to my girl in accounts. I'll speak to my solicitor. If can you do this? Can you not? Is this right? Is this wrong? You can find the answers. Yeah, yeah I can find the answers. Yeah, but it costs me money. Yeah, you know. If I knew the answers, it would save me money. It would save me money. <laughs> yeah. You know. Plus, if you know, I remember I um, I bought some cars from Rome before Brexit. Um, I bought a, quite a big collection of Ferraris, and it, I didn't start off buying the whole collection. I start off buying. I bought one F forty. Mm-hmm. So f- flew over to Rome. The cars were kept in a, um, a like a, a Ferrari dealership specialist service center kind of place. Uh, really nice setup. Um, met the client. So I only spoke to him on email. Met the client. Uh, met the guy who owns the place where this is stored. Nobody spoke English. Nobody spoke a word of English. But we somehow, between the three of us and writing stuff down, we managed to get a deal done. But what made me on the back foot or feel like I was on the back foot is these two people, 
are having a conversation. And you're not involved. I have no idea what they're talking about. I know they're talking about me. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I have no idea what they're talking about. They could say whatever they want and you wouldn't even know. Never a clue. Yeah. He could have said to him, hey, look, you know, worst case, we're going to take the offer that he's made, but let's just try and get a bit more out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't know this. Mm. And we're talking, you know, uh, at the time it was a 1.2 million pound car. So, you know, we're talking big scales here. And it made me feel really inferior and it made me feel like I I didn't get the best part of the deal because I was in control at all. But I got the deal done and that was that. Three weeks later, I had a phone call again. The guy wants to sell an F50. The same guy? Same guy. Yeah. So, same procedure, got an airplane, flew to Rome. Googled before I got there schools in the local area. Mm-hmm. Got in touch with a English teacher in the school and told her I'd pay her 500 euros for two hours. You got to come with me. Yep. Drove to the school, picked her up, went to the dealership, told her, don't say a thing. I don't want you to say anything at all. I want you to stand there. I'm going to let these two people talk. I'm going to go through the same procedure. I'm going to try and communicate with them, write stuff down and yep. do whatever. Yep. I don't want you to say a word. Did Okay, so I'm just going to ask you just for more details. Did those two guys know who she was? No, no clue. Okay, so... She was just my assistant. Okay, so you're just your assistant. All right, my assistant. Cool. Yep, right. We went for a coffee, and I said to the girl, what was he saying? And she, obviously she was an Italian... Yeah, translator. ...who taught English. Yeah. She could speak both languages. Yeah. She told me everything they were saying. They spoke completely openly in front of her. Yeah. On the basis of what I've just said, that's a good offer him down the road won't pay that much. He, he hasn't seen the car. This is a good buy, blah, 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 blah. But we'll try and hang out for a bit more. She's telling me all this. So I know their game plan now. Yeah. It cost me 500 euros. Before, it might have cost me 100,000 pounds because I could have got a better deal. Yeah, of course, yeah. You know? So, like, that's... That's clever strategy. Yeah, but way, you, you can't... You're not going to learn that in school. That's no, using yeah, your no, initiative no. and common sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I felt like I've been fucked once. I ain't going back to be fucked again. (laughs) You (laughs) You must have some crazy stories when it comes to, you know, buying cars or, you know, anything. Where's the craziest place you bought a car from? Like stories like that, for example. Oh, so it's such a great story when I, um, when I bought the Bugatti, when I bought the Veyron. Go on. Yeah, that really, really sticks in my head. I mean, I'm in situations and predicaments every single day, one way or another, but this really sticks in my head. Mm -hmm. So I decided one day that, I want to buy a I want to buy a Veyron. I seen where the prices were, and I thought they were extremely undervalued, and I still think they are. How much were they at the time? If you don't mind me asking, I paid six hundred and fifty thousand for for my for my Veyron. But we're talking ten years ago. Yeah, no, but even ten. Yeah, but I'm just thinking about the value of them today, and I'm just like, yeah, that's crazy. But they're still they're way too undervalued today. Yeah, they're way too undervalued. So um, I called my connections because I've got connections everywhere. I mm-hmm. called my connections at Bugatti. And I said, I want to buy a Veyron. If you get offered any, I know these people don't buy used cars. Mm-hmm. Bugatti, these dealers, they don't buy cars. They just sell new cars. Yep. Um, if you need to take a car on a part exchange or whatever, I'm looking for one personally. Give me a heads up. So the guy said, guy in service center, he said, look, there's a client. Can't tell you, can't give you any of his details, but he's going through a divorce. He's had the car from new. We've just serviced it. He's going through a divorce and he he doesn't need to sell it financially, but because it's an asset in the divorce, it needs to be sold. Yep. 
I said, okay, well, give me his name and number. And he said, Carl can't. It's, you know, it's, it's GDPA. I, I, can't, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Date protection. So, um, oh, right, okay. Can you tell me what color the car is? Yes, gray, gray and silver. Right. Called another one of my connections up who lives in London. Yep. Who owns a gray and silver UK registered Veyron? I don't know. There's a Russian guy. Um, barely uses it though. We've, I've only ever seen it twice. Normally keeps it in a car park on Mount Street. Mm-hmm. Okay. Bit more digging. Found out who the guy was. Got his telephone number. Got his telephone number. Got, no, got his wife's telephone number. Right? <laughs> They're going for a divorce. Going through a divorce. <laughs> right? She was, she was Russian as well, but she was, she spoke very good English. Husband yeah. didn't even speak English. Okay. Yeah. Right? So, I called her. She gave me his number. I said that I'm calling about the Bugatti, and she was obviously encouraged the situation for me to buy it because it needed to be settled. Mm-hmm. So, long story short, called the guy up. He didn't speak English. I'm saying I call about the Bugatti, the Veyron. You have a Bugatti. I wish to buy. Uh, blah blah blah. Phone down. Don't call me again. Phone down. Yeah. Phone down. Yeah. So, like the next day. An English, a guy who spoke English, he he called me back very abruptly. Hi, who is this? Intru- introduced him. Halfway through me, introduced him. He's like, what do you want? I understand Mr. Can't say his name, but he wants to sell um, a Bugatti. I want to buy a Bugatti. Who told you? Who gave you this number? Mrs. gave me this number. Mm-hmm. And okay, sorry, it was no problem. If I'd have said... Bugatti service sent to give me this number. There'd have been issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah 100%. And they didn't. I had to get it my own way. Anyway, how much do you want to offer? I said six hundred and fifty thousand. No, not interested. Sorry, bye. Phone down. Two weeks later, I had a phone call again from a number in Austria. And answered the phone. Hello, hello, Mister Carl. This is I can't remember the the translator's guy's name. Um, Mr. Let's call him John. Mr. John. Um, he, uh, he said, if you're seriously interested on buying his car, he will see you this evening at the, um, uh, what, what was the hotel called? Lubinsky. Kapinski. He'll see you tonight at the Kapinski Hotel in Vienna. And where are you at this point? I'm in my office. <laughs> oh, <please>. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm here. Yeah. So I was like, okay, what time? We have, after dinner, we have dinner at 7.30, after dinner, maybe 10 p.m. Yep. Look, it's like 1 p.m. now. Fuck, how am I going to get to Vienna? But I've always got my passport. If you look, I've got my passport on my desk. I'm always ready to passport. go. So at the time, I had a 991 Porsche Turbo S. I just got in the car. And just... I just drove towards an airport. Yeah. So my assistant at the time, lovely girl called Hannah, called her and said, Hannah, I need a flight to Vienna. I need it now. I don't care where it's from, but preferably go, I'm going south. So we've got Birmingham, we've got Stansted, we've got Luton, we've got Heathrow, we've got Gatwick. Gatwick yeah. Get me somewhere along Get there. me somewhere. There's got to be somewhere. And yeah. she called me up. She's like, there's one at Stansted, but it leaves in like an hour and a half. Yeah. And I'm an hour away on a good day. But I'm in a 991 turbo. Don't I was just going to say this. Yeah. <laughs> I have literally, I mean, I broke every single speeding law there was to break. Got outside of Stansted Airport. I've left the car with the keys underneath the wheel 
in short stay, the closest you could possibly get to. Called my guy, I said, look, that's where the car is. Leave now and come and pick it up because it's yeah. not going to be here for much longer yeah. if you don't. <laughs> Run through, no baggage. All I've got is a, a credit card and my passport. That's all I got. How much time did you have to spare until the flight took off? Oh, I, minutes. Like, yeah, okay. literally minutes. Yep. So, got there, landed. When I landed, I text the guy. I'm landing at whatever time it was. It was quite late at night. It was about 10 o'clock. Um, landing at this time, yeah, blah, blah, blah. He... um. He sent a Mercedes-Benz V-Class to come and pick me up with four security guards and him. Not the main guy, the translator. The translator had the security guards. Just me and the translator, (laughs) a driver and three other guys in this (laughs) V-Class. No one knows where I am, by the way. Only my assistant. She's the only person who knows where I am. So it sort of hit me. I'm like, God, it. I could get done in here, you know, like, these, these, I could go missing. These security guards, did they have any uniform or anything like that? They just a three-piece suit, just, just black suits, ties, straightforward, things. So, and, so things when the door for that V-class opened, did you not think, oh shit, what's going on here? No, I just jumped in. Then I thought, oh shit, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> so got to the Kapinski Hotel, met the guy, a, a lovely guy, but to look at, quite an intimidating Guy, a big Russian guy, didn't speak English, mm-hmm. very flamboyant clothes. Yep. And um, he said, uh, basically, the translator said, um, Mr. John uh, said, you've had a long flight. Would you like to join him for a few drinks first? So he asked, I needed a few drinks. So, yeah, no, yeah, I could do with a drink. You yeah, know please, what I mean? Yeah. So sat there and started just having a few drinks. And he said, do you want to come down? It's, it's midnight now. It's midnight. It's early hours of the morning. Do you want to come down and look at the car? So I said, okay, I'll um, I'll go and look at the car, cover off the car, there's the car, there it is. Got the books, got the speed key, got the spare key, got every piece of history, it's got everything, the car's perfect, it's there. So he's like, you happy? So I said, yeah, I'm happy. He said, the car's 650. I said, yeah, it's fine, the 650's fine. Okay, no problem, there's my bank details. So I'm like, what do you want me to do with these? Send me the money. Yeah. So I bet it's like 2 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> How are you going to send 650 grand out to you in the morning? Yeah. He said, okay. He said, in the morning at 9.30, I leave to go to Switzerland. Mm-hmm. You need, to, I need to have the money before then. Yeah. So I said, okay, no problem. He gave me the key to the car. The driver and everybody else took all the history, all the books, all the, the service books, the speed key, they took everything. He also had the ticket to get out of the car park. Okay, yeah. So, as security, he gave me the, the key. Yep. Yeah? But he he was holding everything else. So, 8 o'clock in the morning, the next morning, got up at 8 because I'm not a lazy bastard. <laughs> 8 o'clock in the morning, with a, with a raging hangover, because after that, we all went and just had some more drinks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, sent in the money. As I sent the money, signed the invoice, shook hands, and now I'm in Vienna in a Veyron, and I don't know where I'm going. I'm a driving home, how am I going to get it home? What am I going to do? Where What's am I going? Like, yeah. I've I've got no change of clothes. I don't have a toothbrush. You know? <laughs> yeah. Eight hours ago, I was in my office, you know, without any £650,000 better off yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> than who I am now. And um, and I drove back. I drove back from Vienna all the way um, all the way home. Was that your first time driving a Veyron? No. Oh. No, no. I'd had, I'd had them. I'd had quite a few of them. But this is the first time them. driving your Veyron. Yeah, yeah. 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 What was that drive like coming back from Vienna? Now that you're sitting in the sock, 
I want you to picture this moment for me and the audience watching, yeah? You're sitting in the car now, right? 650 grand down, but I'm in the Veyron. Let's go back. So. It was it was it was an achievement for me. It was like a sense of achievement, you know. And I never forget my 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 battery ran out on my phone um, not long after my my trip started, mm-hmm. and there was just me in the car. And the car didn't have obviously didn't have a USB because it's two thousand seven. Yeah, and it didn't have a cigarette lighter to plug something, as, else, in. something else in. Yeah, so I had no phone, and I never had a phone for about. Eight hours, and I was completely me in the car for eight hours, driving through the Austrian Alps mm-hmm. into Germany, through France, through the French Alps. Yeah. Oh, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. When I got to Calais, I could have turned around and drove back. Like it was, it's a big, comfortable car, and it was like you know when I first saw, because it's stressed out. I've got you know a whole day's driving, twenty four hours or whatever I've got. Yeah. Oh, it was it was incredible. One of the best experiences of my life. Look. How easy is that car to drive as well? It's a, it's a Bentley. It's, yeah, I can imagine. It's a Bentley with two engines. Yeah. And four turbos. And that actually is what it is. The reason they call it a W16 is it's two Bentley V8s. Put together, isn't it? Two V8s makes yeah. a W. Yeah. And two 8s make 16. It's W16. That's, it's two Bentley engines molded together. Molded together, yeah. Yeah, but that must have been an unreal drive coming back home. Oh, it was, it was, it was, it was incredible. It was you ever spoken to that Russian guy since? No, I've never spoken to him since. No, never heard. But I've got pictures in my phone of the night we'd done the deal in the car park where we'd done it, shaking yeah. hands, having a laugh, having a drink. Because it was a whole experience for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't about the car. It was, I'm one of these people, and a lot of people are like this. A lot of successful people are like this. They get infatuated with something and they have to have it. Mm-hmm. Now, what that means is they probably can't afford it at this point. But they're in fact, and they have to have it. Obsessed with the idea of having it. And then when they get it, yeah, they don't want it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it wasn't about that it was material about, thing. It was, it was about, about the, the journey. Leading up to it, you know, yeah. You get some people, and I get answered this all, asked this all the time. I'll post a new Ferrari for sale, brand new car. Mm-hmm. And it will be a special order. The guy's flown to Italy. He's sat with the Atelier spec people. And he's gone through everything to the stitch, into the steering wheel, to the this, and he's upgraded the the buttons for the Italian stripe, and he's gone all through it. And the minute the car lands, he sold it to me. And people say, why, why do that? And it's, his journey wasn't about the car. His journey was to have the whole experience, to go to Ferrari, fly to Italy, walk around the factory, spec up his own car. The and then when he's got it, he just doesn't want it. What's he going to do with it? Yeah. What are you going to do with this car? Yeah. Carl, got a car for you. Exactly. That's what happens. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine that happened a lot then. Yeah, How do you explain it like that? Happens a lot. And people say, why sell a car after 500 miles? Why sell a car and it's brand new? Why you know, why go through that? Mm-hmm. Because for them, it's, the, no, it's not the journey. You get people on the flip side who can't be bothered with the journey. They just want the car. Mm-hmm. So that's, they just want they just want it now. Yeah. They just want it now. Okay. So I can understand why people flip their cars and why people sell their cars, Yeah. Um, you can understand that as well, as you just explained. So do you feel like it's unfair when Ferrari blacklist a customer when they do that? I believe in if you own something and it's your possession, you should do with it whatever what you, you like. Want, yeah. I don't care what you do with it. Cause you it can is, buy a car from me yeah. and you can do with it whatever you want. Whatever you it's want. Yours. I think it's disgusting when someone determines what you do with your possession. You know? Yeah, because for oh, I sold you this car, but you can't sell it to nobody. Can't do nothing. Yeah, what if you're you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't take it around a track, you can't sell it to nobody. 
but you've worked your nuts off to buy it. Yeah. And you've you've paid for it and it's yours. Well, it's not your you got to basically act like it's not yours. Well, yeah, of course. Pretty much, yeah. Exactly, because you've got to be in line like a good boy until the next one comes. Yeah, which is unreal. Yeah, and I'm saying I don't think that's fair at all. Mm-hmm. That's what I'd rather buy. But, you know, that's not down to the companies that determine that. That's down to the person. You know, no one could talk to me like that and tell me what I can and can't do. That's yeah. what I want with my own possession. Yeah, you can, of course. Yeah, that's all. It's not, you know, it's not their fault. It's the person who's taking the orders. It's his it's his, his or her fault. Mm-hmm. It's, it's their fault. Their fault, yeah. Carl, I have to ask you, right? You had a Bugatti Veyron, top seed on that's 252 miles an hour. How have you still got a license? Because <laughs> I don't break the speed limit. No? Not even the time where it's going there to get it. I used to break the speed limit. Have you ever, like, had lost your license or anything like that? Yeah, I lost my license. I have, uh, I've lost my license a couple of times. Was it in the Bugatti? No. No? No. Okay, so just just off off by chance. Now, I don't even drive. I don't drive fast um, anymore. I I very rarely drive. Yeah. Um, I've got a driver, and if I'm going to see a client for for business, you know, if I'm if I'm going to see a client for business and he lives three hours away, you can do a whole. I'm three business. hours there. I'm three hours back. That's six hours. I'm out the office. Yeah. And I'm driving. Well, I'm completely worthless that day. Yeah, because if you if you got a driver, then you can still continue still doing the job. Yeah, you're still in the office, yeah. Still in the office. You can stay your office anyway. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So um, I don't really drive places. And, you know, when I do drive, I, te- I do get done occasionally on these average speed cameras, oh, like doing right. 57 in a 50. Yeah. But that's not speeding. That's not speeding. You know, that's not speeding. Yeah. Run a motorway. And then threatening you with three points for it's that. It's 12 o'clock at night. I've had a 16-hour day. yeah. I'm 20 miles from home and I'm doing 57 in a 50 with no other cars around me and you want to give me three points. Yeah, I know. Dumb, you know? Dumbness. So you take my license off me. I have to cut back on staff. People lose their jobs because I was doing seven miles an hour on a clear road over the speed limit this on a motorway. I, yeah, this is why I like to buy it because you could be doing 50 miles an hour on the speed limit and all they'll say is... Black points. Yeah, not even points. They'll, they'll just no, they'll like, give you the option. Yeah, they'll think of a black point or you just pay. Or you just pay, yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a, uh, speaking of which, there was a funny. Uh, I saw a TikTok that I come across. Right, uh, Andrew Tate's Bugatti was out in Dubai, racked up a whole lot of tickets and some herbs, paid off the whole thing one time. Yeah, which is, yeah, which is crazy. Wait, I, I, I was in Dubai um, in April, and I was talking with a friend who lives there about this kind of thing, mm-hmm. and he found it hysterical. The law system in this country, how they're obviously. The road traffic laws, they're out to get as much money as they possibly can. Of course, 100%. 100%. But they're not giving people the chance to buy their way out of trouble. Mm. You know, so what they want to do is they want to take money from people and then take their license from them so those people can't give them any money anymore. Yeah. That's a silly thing to do. Yeah. You know? Don't get me wrong. Listen, I do believe if you go over 100 miles an hour, you should lose your license. You know, I, I do believe that. If you do... 20 miles an hour more in a built-up area, you should lose your license. It's dangerous. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think... With Speed laws were made in 1960-something or other. Yep. Well, if you're driving a car in 1966, a 1966 average car, whatever that would have been in 1966, and you slam your foot on the brakes, I guarantee you, me in an SF90 could stop faster if I'm doing 180 miles an hour. Jeremy Clarkson had this test on, I think it was on Top Gear or something as well, 
where he had a heavy Bentley Continental. Uh, followed those those laws that you just mentioned there, and it was breaking a lot less. And then there was a cone representing where, you know, the distance where you should be breaking, and it was nowhere near it. Like the, the laws are completely outdated. Yeah, they're completely outdated. Today's technology. They're, they're completely outdated. The problem is, um, whatever law you put down, people will will try and abuse, abuse yeah, the law. Abuse the law. Yeah. If your if the speed limit is now eighty, yeah, people, people do stop. ninety. Yeah, ninety. Yeah. You know, so where does it stop? It doesn't mm-hmm. stop. Um, but what I'm saying is, you know, you have to look at people's circumstances and, you know, I, I'm, I, I, I get points for, for, you know, not for doing stupid speech, for doing like 50, I've had one recently, 57 and a 50. Yeah. It was, it was, it was at midnight, 57 and a 50. I'm at work all day to pay my staff and you try to take my license off me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, but over there he was laughing, he was like, so he he opened my eyes about it. He said, "We get over here, we get a black point. If you and by the way, over there apparently, anyone can take your black point. You yeah. can just pass it. You Onto can pass it along. License, yeah, yeah, which is unbelievable, really. That's what I'm saying. The laws out there are sick. Have you? I know this is a random one that me asking late into the podcast, but have you ever thought about opening another like Tom Hartley out in the Middle East, just to make uh, you know? I think I think what. What is going to be the next step for us is to possibly open another dealership um, in another country. Yeah. Um, Thought about what country? I haven't, no. I kind of have. Um, Dubai would be great, but, you know, there's so many car dealerships in Dubai. Yeah, I was just going to say that, yeah. I mean, that that boat's gone now. Yeah. You know, yeah. I look at countries like uh, like Spain. I love Spain. It's not it's not a long haul away. It's two hours, um, and no one. I spend a lot of time in Marbella, and there is no one does what we do there. Mm. Nobody. But is that for a reason, or is that because no one's just done it? Like when I say reason, I mean can people afford these cars there? Yeah. 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 Like yeah, everyone's got one of these cars there. The problem is they have to go to me in England to buy it. Wow, well, well, <laughs> you know, you know. There's I was over there recently, and there's a Koenigsegg dealership. I'm not sure if it's an authorized Koenigsegg dealership, but they've got Koenigsegg above the window, literally outside of Porto Banus. Mm-hmm. It holds about four cars, and the last time I went there, they had a Koenigsegg Regera, they had an Aston Martin V12 Zagato. Yep. And they had, um, I think they could have had an Aston Martin Valkyrie, not a Valkyrie, a, um, what's the track one called? That is Valkyrie. No, not the new one. Do the one with the long bonnet that's only track focused. Sure, it begins with a V. Oh, no, it is a Valkyrie. It, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a Valkyrie. Though you talk about the one that partnered with Red Bull, right? No, the one before that. Vulcan. Vulcan, yeah. sorry. Well, no. My mind went blank. Uh, they're Vulcan in there. And I've seen these three cars in that dealership for the last two years. And I've never seen the lights on in the dealership mm-hmm. or anybody even sitting in there. They're just there. Someone could walk past and think, I want to buy that Koenigsegg. It's closed. It's just sitting there. <laughs> just sitting there, yeah. I can't get my head around it. <laughs> it's madness. Um, but, you know, there's, there's, there's dealerships in Spain, Salamanca's a... Uh, uh, a well-known Ferrari dealership, but no one out there does what we do. The problem is I don't speak Spanish. Got to learn. You got to learn. Or 
you know, hire people who, you know, speak Spanish and English. But those people, they're not me. True. Very good point. So, you you know. But arguably, do you think you could train staff to be you? No. No? Why not? Oh, because I don't think you can train anybody to be somebody. No, but you could train someone to have the same sales techniques and strategy as you, no? No. You can, you can give someone the best advice they could possibly have. Mm-hmm. But why would I work for anybody? So if I train someone to be me, he's not going to work for me. He's going to set up his own business. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it's... There's a, there's that line there, isn't there? There's a fine line where you have very good staff that are not quite good enough to do it themselves. Yeah. You know? I'm going to round this podcast up by asking you this. Have you got any advice to your younger self, to the younger Carl Hartley? Actually, not one better. Forget that question. When your kids watch this, mm-hmm. maybe in a few years' time, as they see the world more and understand things more, what's the message you'd like to leave them with? Um, you hear all the time people talk about patience you know be patient good things come to those who wait well I don't believe in that I believe in go and kick the door down and if the door you know if that door won't kick over go and find a door that does you know just go and get it Mm. go and get it and have a go go and have a go everyone can dream about I want to do this one day. Well, it, it will always ever be a dream if you don't give it a go. Don't be scared to fail. Yeah. Don't be scared to fail. I fail every week on something, one thing or another. But it just the next week, I won't make the same failure. So I won't, it will prevent me from doing it again. Yeah. Don't be scared to fail and just go and get it. It's not going to come to you. Success doesn't come to you. You have to go and get it. You have to go and get it. I think that's a powerful message to end on. So, Carl, I want to thank you very much for coming thank on. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Finally, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I definitely need to sort of walk, walk around the dealership. Yeah, we'll go do that now. And if anyone wants to follow my social media page, say that, yeah, it's um, Carl Hartley One on Instagram. We also have my dad's Instagram page, is Tom Hartley Cars. Um, you can see all our stock on tomhartley.com. Um, yeah, keep following. Hope you enjoy. Follow it all up. Links are going to be in the description. If you listen to this Apple Podcast and Spotify, make sure you go on Instagram. Leave Carl a nice message. And until then, I'll catch you lot on the next episode. I'll see you on cast. Peace. Don't troll me. <laughs> Do exactly that. <laughs>